and welcome back to Tell Me More Political Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing firstly some basic principles, structures, mechanisms of Australian Parliament, the nuts and bolts as requested by one of my listeners. And then we're going to be moving on to the G20. You've probably heard about it in the news this week. It just happened in Osaka. We had 20 of the world's leaders meet and discuss how they can boost their economies, which collectively will help the world's economic growth. So firstly, I'll talk about what the G20 actually is, and then I'll move on to the realities and what was achieved in the Osaka summit. Now, I've been asked to give a bit of an overview about the Australian parliamentary political legal system. It can be quite confusing at times, so I'll try to give a bit of a broad overview. Now, most of our customs, traditions and ways of navigating politics, legislation and law are from Britain. When the British came to Australia, they brought their system of legal and justice mechanisms, basically. However, it's not an exact mirror of Britain, which is why you may have heard the term Washminster. Westminster is the British way of Parliament and the judiciary. However, we have adopted a few things from America, which is where the Washington comes into Westminster making Washminster. But broadly, we have three powers, if you can imagine them. We have the judiciary, which is the judges from the magistrates court to the high court, which, as you can imagine, decide cases and are independent in upholding the law. We have the executive, which is the uh, the operation of, of laws and legislation, uh, the public service in a way that affect change, develop policies and implement them. And then you have the legislature, which is the parliament that makes the laws and puts them into effect. Now, these are called the separation of powers, and it's one of the most important tenets of the Australian parliamentary and legal system. And these are governed and set out in the Constitution. Now, the Constitution is an important fundamental document which underpins Australia itself, really. When Australia became its own nation, a federation, the states as separate little colonies came together, they agreed uh, on the Constitution as the basics of how the federation the country was going to operate. And that also includes how Parliament is set out and the seats in each Parliament. And within the Parliament, we have the House of Representatives, which is the Green Chamber. You'll see where the Prime Minister talks in question time. And the Senate, which is the red or more of a salmony pink, really, chamber, which is the Upper House. So the House of Representatives, the lower house, has 151 members of parliament. They're the people that you're more likely to see as your local member in in the federal sense. So they all go down to Canberra and sit in Parliament House and vote on legislation. And then you have the Senate. There's 76 members of the Senate and you have 12 per state and two for every territory. Now, that kind of distribution occurred because... When states were agreeing to come together for a, um, for a federation and were agreeing on the constitution, you can see states like Tasmania 
wanted equal representation because if New South Wales just had the largest population, obviously had the power, Tasmania would be worried that they'd never have anything that favoured them. So that's what the Senate tries to, to be fair in a way by having 12 per state. Now, the representation per population happens in the lower house, in the House of Representatives. So New South Wales is obviously going to have far more members than Tasmania. For legislation to succeed, though, it needs to be passed by the House of Representatives and the Senate. So that's where you try to have that fairness of even if Tasmania or a smaller state, even South Australia, for example, um, doesn't have as many members in the House of Representatives, they have more of an equal say in the Senate. Now, how our government is formed, you obviously have political parties and when you go to your election, such as the recent federal election, you will vote for your lower house member and your upper house member and whoever has the majority of seats in the lower house, the House of Representatives, wins government. So that's why the Prime Minister is in the lower house. The Prime Minister is chosen by the party though, not by you. You can vote for your local member and that ensures that if they have the most votes, they'll be given a seat in the House of Representatives, but it's the party, the Liberal Party or the Labour Party that chooses their leader who will become Prime Minister if their party is the one with the most votes. Now that's just a little snapshot of how Parliament works and the legal system works. Very, very short overview. Let me know if there's something specific that you'd like me to talk about or I might do a bit more next time. Now onto the G20. The G20 is one of the world's most influential and important groups of countries that meet each year and work behind the scenes throughout the year to come together and develop their economies to try to lift living standards, advance different policies and make trade deals, which of course benefits most parties. Now, the countries that make up the G20, I'll just list them out for you. Argentina, Australia, Brazil, Canada, China, the European Union, which of course is a group rather than a single country, France, Germany, India, Indonesia, Italy, Japan, Mexico, Russia, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, South Korea, Turkey, the United States and the United Kingdom. Now, of course, we have a lot of the world's, all of the world's biggest players here. These countries together make up 80% of global wealth. So it's a great opportunity for leaders to come together and make a difference by pushing for policies and making consistent trade and advancements across different countries. Now, the G20 is a funny mechanism. You have idiosyncrasies like the Troika. The Troika consists of the three nations, the nation that hosted the last, the last year's summit, which changed, of course, every year. So Argentina was last year. We had Japan this year and Saudi Arabia next year. Those three countries make up the Troika and they talk to each other throughout the year to make sure if a policy doesn't quite get up this year for whatever reason, it's not just dropped and you have some consistency. So um, Argentina will talk to Japan and talk to Saudi Arabia to make sure there's consistency and a flow and a policy that may have some difficulties this year might be agreed next year with a few tweaks. Now the G20 is a 21 year old organization with the aim of fostering strong, sustainable, balanced and inclusive economic growth. 
Now, that sounds like a great aim, but as you could guess, of the 20 members I just read out, they have vastly different demographics, political popularities, uh, success in economic growth and rates, labour rates, workforce and different trade agendas. So it's hard to get all of those members to agree to one communique, which is how the, the leader summit's success is measured, really. Uh, there's a lot of negotiations in the lead up. A lot of departments and public servants meet over the year to try to agree an agenda and policy settings. But at the end of the day, it comes down to what's in that one document, the communique that's negotiated and agreed by all members. Now, that's how a success is measured, basically. If you have a weak communique, then it could be seen as not, not as great as it could have been if you had some real strong policy drivers to affect change across all of the countries. Now, the G20 is primarily focused on economic growth, and that's one of the difficulties or sticking points that we've seen recently is most of the world, including Australia, has been pushing for open trade, multilateral trade, which improves outcomes for all involved. However, we're seeing protectionism rising in popularity with Trump's presidency, especially, which is when a country turns into itself more for trade and business in, by increasing tariffs, which is something you may have heard of in the news between China and America. So obviously, if you increase the taxes, the tariffs that it costs for countries to trade between each other, you're going to see less international trade and more trade within a country. So that's something that most member states of the G20 are trying to avoid and move back from to basically when you open up the borders, everyone wins. You have more growth, more income more goods coming into a country and being sold to another country, uh, which, which is the end goal. So for economic growth, that's what we want to be aiming for and that's Australia's standpoint. So throughout the year, you'll have, this is another funny G20 term, you have Sherpas, and this isn't a joke, you have Sherpas and Yaks, which is the names given to officials in the public service, high-ranking officials who talk to their counterparts in each of the other 19 members to try to push forward their own agendas. So Australia supports open trade and, for example, this year social media reforms in terms of how Facebook and other social media giants react when terrorist content is uploaded. You'll have each respective country pushing their agenda right up until the summit. So this is where the Sherpas and Yaks come in. The leaders' summit, of course, is metaphorically the top of the mountain and the Sherpas, which are uh, more the, the prime ministerial or the treasury counterparts, and the Yaks, which is the finance minister's counterparts, are pushing the policies up the hill towards the summit. So it's very funny. Um, <laughs> but we have some really good opportunities for change, the G20. You don't have a lot of comparable venues for world leaders of these massive countries to be able to influence others, to make trade deals and to benefit the world globally through enhancing trade, which leads to more businesses, more jobs, more growth, better increased income for people on an on a individual level, but that leads to globally on economic growth rates, keeping people employed, keeping welfare down. Um, keeping the country in a good state. 
So there's great opportunities that can be achieved through G20, but it only works if most or all of the members are on board with the same type of economic thinking, really. So, which is open trade recently. However, as I mentioned, protectionism could be an issue. So now we've talked about the G20 generally, let's dive into the recent Osaka summit and talk about some of the successes we saw there. Now, one of the discussions that caught headlines were the discussions between President Xi Jinping of China and President Trump of the US and how they discussed their tariffs. Now, there was hope that the tariffs would be wound back. In the past couple of years, we saw America add tariffs to Chinese imports and China respond. And you've just seen this climbing game of America responding and the China responding. And it's it's not great for open trade. So the the meeting wasn't horrible. We had um, the commitment from both leaders to restart talks about tariffs. However, the tariffs weren't extended, which was a positive that some people were were scared that the tariffs would be extended after that meeting, but a bit of a middle of the road outcome for that one. Now, one of the biggest substantive policy achievements of the summit was actually driven by Australia, which is a pretty big deal considering some of the big ticket members that we have in the G20 as a, a relatively smaller country in terms of our economic share we are punching above our weight and it's great to see that we pushed and negotiated uh, not just the prime minister scomo but also all of the public servants who worked throughout the year to have some real change so this was relating to social media standards so scott morrison wrote to um shinzo abe the president of japan to ask that the G20 uh, discuss lifting standards of social media giants in reaction to terrorist events and videos. Now, as you could have guessed, this is in reaction to the Christchurch atrocity that happened. And uh, as, as it happened in the negotiations, all members agreed to, um, to include in the communique some lines about uh, basically putting Facebook and other social media giants on notice. Now, you might ask, well, what does this really mean if it's just in a communique? Now, it's not enforceable, um, the communique in each member country, but it does mean a lot. It means that all 20 of these members have publicly committed and are ready to stand behind the fact that if something happens, if Facebook is slow or Twitter or any social media um, really massive website or platform refuses or doesn't act doesn't act up to its responsibilities in in such a situation like Christchurch that they can expect their government to act so this follows Australia's um, introduction of legislation in April to really crack down on these companies where they can expect jail time if they are negligent in hosting these horrific videos on their sites mm-hmm. Now, you might think that, well, that's obvious. Of course, everyone's going to support such a a proposition. But actually, there was actually concerns that it wouldn't be agreed to, especially from America, who thought that the idea of putting these 
lifted standards on social media platforms would damage free speech. So it wasn't just an, an easy thing for Australia to get across the line. It took negotiation and work um, from, from the public servants and from SCOMO. So that is quite a good achievement. Now, the Osaka summit has been regarded of rather middle of the road in its achievements. There wasn't a great deal of strong messaging, uh, fighting protectionism. The word protectionism wasn't really mentioned because, of course, all countries have to agree to it, including America. Uh, But there was some wording about pushing for more multilateral and open trade. So we had people like Christine Lagarde from the International Monetary Fund urging for tariff reduction. So it was definitely part of the conversation. We just didn't really have it strongly put in the communique, which I think was on par with expectations for this summit. Now, another point to note is Scott Morrison's reception amongst world leaders at the recent G20 summit. We had a a quite warm reception, really. He was invited to dinner with President Trump on the first night and Trump remarked that he always knew that SCOMO was going to win the election. It wasn't a surprise at all. We had Prime Minister Abe of Japan and Modi of India tweet and take selfies, welcoming him officially now that he's legitimately won his own election and he's won his place on the world stage. So it's going to be great to see how he handles this great diplomatic responsibility and how he takes charge of Australian agendas and priorities on the world stage will be one to look out for. And finally, another headline to come out of the G20 summit was actually a meeting that happened afterwards between President Trump and President Kim Jong-un, in which President Trump actually entered North Korea. Now, there isn't really any big outcome from the, the discussion, but It was more of the image and the notion of Trump entering North Korea, which you could see as him being open and willing to discuss or continue discussions in a more amenable way with North Korea. But it's hard to tell at this point. There's so much back and forth on the North Korean issue and denuclearization. It's really hard to see North Korea agree to denuclearization, but... It's just an interesting note that Trump chose to enter North Korea, however you want to see that. Now, thank you everyone so much for listening again this week. I'll be back next week. Please let me know if there's anything you'd like me to talk about on Instagram. Tell me more, M-O-O-R-E podcast on Instagram and leave a comment on what you'd like me to mention next week. Otherwise, have an amazing week.